podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Cowabunga, dudes and dudettes, and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is a very 80s fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey, and he was here a minute ago, everyone, but he looked, he looked pretty worse for wear, and he said, don't look at me. And then he slinked away. I don't know what's up with that. Hopefully, he'll be back. Maybe a little more himself than he was a minute ago. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you into our totally righteous new series, A Break Before Things Get Heavy Again, a series where we're going to be celebrating that era that some of you may have not even been born in, but that birthed such fads as jam shorts and members-only jackets. When the times were strange and the things were strangers, welcome to those fogging 80s. Ladies and gentlemen, we have two guests today who will join us to raise a little hell at the mall. Ladies and gentlemen, friends and foggers, ninja turtles and mask toys. He-Man? It's Everyman Andy, a.k.a. E.T. Phone Home, and Horror Enneagrammarian Asia showing up as one of the Miami Vice crew tonight. Andy and Asia, welcome to the 80s party. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to great. both of you. It is great. Is I am great. thrilled you're here. Um, Andy, Asia, y'all, uh, 
chill at the food court for a second. Okay. Maybe grab okay. some Sbarro or some Dippin' Dots. I'm going to remind the <laughs> listeners here at the fear of God, we explore. We do not explain, except for right now. When I explain that you, listener, can hear the fear of God at your nearest podcast platform. You can watch the fear of God on YouTube and you can browse the fear of God on the web at the fear of God podcast.com where you will find read read back. <laughs> what's up man hey, how's buddy. it going how's it I'm going good. i'm good it is party time up i am god i am eager to be here this is this is exactly what i need you know like I, i've been not really feeling very comfortable in my own skin lately okay. and so uh okay. so yeah this is this is precisely the remedy that i needed you know like uh, well, i'm feeling much more put together than i was well, before good. you know well, like uh, well, well, i've had well, some come, nourishment come to daddy because I've had some, uh whoa you know, it's Whoa! Time for an '80s party. <laughs> you <laughs> like the party? No, sir. I'm not, whoa! <laughs> Suddenly, it just takes a darker turn for the '80s. Oh, oh dark, my gosh! Oh, no, fun, freewheeling. <laughs> the '80s, man. Asia, we, Andy, we it's good to American see you. Psycho. Hey, yeah, we've got we've got party guests here. That is awesome. Oh, that reminds oh, me. I got to return some what? videotapes. That reminds me. Yeah. No, you gotta re- well, be kind and rewind them before you do. Okay? Oh, um, <laughs> my first job, my first legit job, other than like mowing lawns, which a lot of kids. Did you mow lawns? Do. I did mow lawns. Yeah. yeah. From starting That's from when I was about. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> just what do you expect? I do just Sorry. like crank it up and Sorry. hang on to the end while it runs around. <laughs> Does whatever <laughs> with the Benny with the Benny Hill music. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. They wouldn't let me near the sex. Oh my god. They wouldn't let me near the weed eater. Like it was it was all over from that point. But no, the um my very first legit job that I had to apply Sweating. for and they had to hire me of my own sort of skill level was at a video store. And I got that job when I was 15 years old. And I got that job by answering successfully all 20 of the movie related quiz questions that they had just for fun. But they said, like, I was the only one who had answered all 20 questions successfully. And they tell me that was part of why I got the job. I don't know if I was even the only one. Maybe I was the only one who applied. Yeah, you're the only applicant. Just let's, you know, (laughs) is this what this is going to be like? It's just like an era. No, no, it's a party. It's a party. Oh, okay, sure. sure. Grab a drink. That's the reason why I didn't get the job. (laughs) Come to find out years later. He got it over you. (laughs) He's like, oh, man, I knew I was at that same store. So Asia and Andy, y'all are keenly aware of the celebration we're having and the the run that's upon us here. But in case listeners don't know or didn't listen to the mini-sode that uh, released within the last, I don't know, 48 hours, depending on how time works. Um, We are in July-ish. We're doing an 80s party. You know, we had What Scares Us, and that was heavy, especially Mm. that last one. Oh, my gosh. Whose dumb idea was that movie? Weeks Um, at a time. Yeah. A a very long run of What Scares Us, which which was fun in a general sense, but also was all of us mining our collective psyches for the things that go bump in the night and so what we wanted to do was to just party just have a good time so um we are covering today uh the film hellraiser which is going to be fun but um sure sounds it absolutely yes (laughs) i don't know how much fun (laughs) oh i saw it that was fun (laughs) i saw it 
This is going to be a great conversation. I cannot wait for this conversation. It's probably <laughs> tremendously overhyped in my mind. But, That's okay. Um, That's okay. Well, I so, think if we all learned anything from this video, it's that many people have very different definitions of fun. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. quite true. Yeah. That is quite true. I mean, I love it. I love it. So if you, <laughs> if you watch the YouTube of this episode, you will see that our guests uh, went far and above beyond what Reed and I did. Uh, I <laughs> ran out to Old Navy an hour ago and got a Super Mario Brothers t-shirt and Reed had his Cobra Kai. Um, <laughs> Represent. And Andy, what, what, are you, what are you here as? E.T. 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 I love it. E.T. 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 Do you know, I probably told this story before. I showed my older kids E.T. probably about five years ago and traumatized them. It was not a smart choice. Yeah. They were okay by the end, but in the middle. Because he comes back. Yeah. To which the oldest at that point in the movie said, now I'm crying happy tears like that one, <laughs> because she had been weeping so profusely sweet. in the middle oh, of the sure. movie. Yeah. Tears. Yeah. But in addition, in addition to Hellraiser, we are doing a bit of a TV guidepost and this is going to be a good time. I'm excited <laughs> because so Asian Andy, y'all been around for a while. Uh, you might know the sordid history the Stranger Things TV show has with the fear of God and the hilarious, <laughs> so funny, uh, uh, story associated with Stranger Things season two, which actually, it all comes full circle. Stranger Things season two beget how we now currently cover TV because we realized it did. that was not smart what we did, uh, how we did what we did, uh, it was which exhausting. was oh. Yeah, so and tiring. Friendship testing. Um, and uh, <laughs> we covered Stranger Things season two in like one episode. We watched all eight episodes independent of each other and came to the table with varying different or, or rather very different takes on that season mm -hmm. and had to slog through a three hour conversation about it. It was tough. Mm -hmm. So but we're coming back around because because, you know, I rewatched all of uh, stranger things recently with my kids and my heart softened towards season two, though it does still have some significant cracks in the foundation, but uh, I do love season three. And so here we are uh, because season three takes place in July. It's circa July 4th in the universe of stranger things. We're also going to be discussing that over the course of these next four episodes. So I don't know if y'all came to party, but I'm here to party like it's 1989. Um, mm. yeah. Or so 85, 86, any of, yeah. any of them, any of them. All at all. of them. All right. So, so are, is everybody ready to go to Starcourt Mall? Everybody ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. I got all right. Bike. So got first, some, po right. some pocket mm -hmm. change. All right. So it. first of all, all right. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you once again to a very special season of Hashtag TV Guideposts, wherein we are going to be going back to Hawkins, back to the AV Club, back to the arcade, and most importantly, back to Starcourt Mall, and hopefully not too deep into the Upside Down as we explore all together at our Those Foggin' 80s Party, Stranger Things Season 3. Specifically this week, Episodes 1 and 2 called Susie, Do You Copy?, and the mall rats. Welcome to TV Guideposts. It'll sound a lot better when it's actually like, you know, like done, we, yeah. you know, special. We'll fix it in post. We'll fix yeah. it in editing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So th this is our first episode talking about Stranger Things in a few years. So 
one of the things that I was as I was watching this that just made my heart sore, and it is probably my favorite thing whenever I watch any movie that is set in the 80s, is the big montage sequence where they go into Starcourt Mall in Hawkins. And I am... I, it, it just fills my heart to overflowing because I have so many fond memories, more than I could possibly count, of spending time at the mall as a kid. Um, specific and malls are still around, but they're they're different now because like online shopping has kind of taken over the world, and and just the way that we engage it is so much uh, so much different. So I wanted to kind of toss out there: uh, Does anybody have any sort of specific fond memories of going and visit? And I'll, I'll I'll start to give everybody time to time to think, but. Uh, fond memories of going back to the mall. I have a very specific. Um, it's it's odd that this is be, would be what stands out for me, but I remember that when we would go to the mall, they I would usually have like a route. I would go to the little directory. Remember the directory would that would set up and it'd say like, "Oh, you are here," and these are all the different places. And it was like a puzzle grid that you had to find out exactly where the store was that you wanted to go to. And I would usually map out my route. I was like, "Okay, I'm going to hit up the." Uh, the bookstore right here, usually a Barnes and Noble. I'm going to hit the bookstore right there. I'm going to go up to the FYE, which was the four year mm, entertainment. Yeah, that was, yeah. you know, I would hit them up. Uh, <laughs> I might swing back around to the Lifeway Christian bookstore, see what they've got going on. I would make my way all the way uh, down through there. Um, but I remember very specifically one time it was it was so happy for me. I had a little bit of, you know, change in my pocket that a little bit of uh, spending cash. And I would just meet my mom and dad back in the food court, you know, where they would let me pick out whatever I wanted, usually Sabaro pizza. So I would I would I go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See. So. Um, so basically, I would make my way around. But one time, I don't know why this memory stands out so much to me. I was at FYE. <clears throat> which is why I brought it up. And they have those little bins in FYE where there's just a bunch of cassette tapes. Anybody remember? Do y'all remember cassette tapes? Did y'all own cassette tapes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, bro. So, yeah. Then, okay. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So I'm sitting there browsing through, and these were specifically cassette tapes. I saw two right together of a band called Survivor. And one of the albums there was called Vital Signs. And the other one was called None Other. And it had this fancy popping like, severe close-up of the animal's face but one of them was called eye of the tiger mm. and they were both five dollars a piece and i picked those up and plopped my money down I had no clue it was a blind buy it was an utter blind buy i had not seen rocky three no context whatsoever it was a blind buy but i went and i bought and the first time i put in survivor's eye of the tiger which was the first time i ever heard the and i mean like blew my mind just absolutely blew my mind and i'm sitting there i'm in the car with my walkman and i've got my big old you know sony headphones on and i've and blasting survivor's eye of the tiger that was one of that was one of my favorite experiences i was like god i love them all i love them all i've come back with this this raw treasure and my mind is blown and so now is it safe to say that these were singles and not full albums because that was a thing because it sounds they, like five bucks for for no they were a, they were a, a full album in that era well because remember sounds low but remember fye sells used <clears throat> and so i believe fairly certain that these were used but they were full albums vital signs had 10 songs mm. eye of the mm. tiger had 10 songs gotcha. i mean like and not only eye of the tiger like kicked the door down but I'm not that man anymore. Like that was my jam for a while. Like my, you know, the, the girlfriend in like third grade, you know, like who I was like, you know, that was, that was a big deal. I, and then 
you know, I what had no idea what's now. Uh, <laughs> still trying to find that out. Still trying just, to find that out. I just you've been listening you know? the last four years, Andy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, Is I had no idea what uh, Silver rhetorical? Girl meant. You know. Uh, yes, it was a rhetorical. <laughs> but um, but no, like, and one of my favorite songs. If anybody uh, is curious about Survivor Beyond Eye of the Tiger, you you gotta hear from Vital Signs, which is the better album. But Eye of the Tiger is pretty great. But um, I can't hold back an everlasting man. It's pure '80s. Pull it up on whatever streaming service you're listening to right now. Survivors, I can't hold back and everlasting. I still remember buying those cassettes. Like that's the that's how strong an impression it left on me. Is I can still yeah. remember picking up little, that Eye of the Tiger cassette. It was little a wacky. Deal. So yes, those cassettes. So I mean that was my that was my it. fun reminiscence of it. Who 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 else wants to share? If you have anything about like, do you spend any time at the mall? Do you, do you do anything fun? Asia, Andy. I mean, I definitely remember going to the mall a lot when I was a kid because the mall where I so the mall where I grew up used to be from my perspective really really cool um but if we're going to talk about it in stranger things terms as i got older it pretty much very quickly went to the upside down and has been a non-existent ghost area for many many years but when i was a kid it was everything that was where everything was and i think my biggest memories in that mall growing up were was Christmas shopping. And there's something so mm. nostalgic mm-hmm. about going to, you know, the, there's always the big stores like elder Bearman's or Sears or, you know, whatever the shops right. were at the time Bankers. on either end of the, of the store and just kind of trailing behind your mom in the shopping cart, just listening <laughs> to the music, not actually caring what you buy for anybody else. Right. But <laughs> right. um, I think that is probably the most potent memories i have at the mall aside from you know the little milestones like getting your ears pierced at claire's when you're 13 mm. um oh, wow i don't have any 80s mall memories because yeah because that wasn't me yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, sure yeah, understood yeah. fair enough fair <laughs> enough um but joe exotic did come to our mall that was what? one of the few very cool things that happened where i live i did not get to go see joe exotic but i saw the posters and i saw their van oh my gosh and I live across the street from the guy who did all his tattoos. So anyhow. Wow. But he, he did like a signing or like he, yes, he, went he by brought there, tigers. Like... He brought tigers to the mall. He oh, my did like gosh. one of those. If you watch Tiger King, the Orchards Mall in Benton Harbor, Michigan is on the map where they do all of the. Wow. All of the overlays there so oh my gosh that is so crazy and i'm amazed at how much uh tigers are coming up in this episode already like i, I just i love it so much it was yeah, accident. Tiger, accident. Tiger yeah. That's yeah. Right. tony that's right. the tiger that's 80s oh, no. sure. <laughs> that's yeah. right that's right they're, they're great, great. <laughs> yeah you gotta get it you gotta get the tiger, beat. Right. tiger, tiger beat. beat there you go <laughs> wow nice you read that a lot didn't you Andy? um uh, no, how old nope. do you think I am? I don't know. I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. I did think if I didn't make it to the store to get the Super Mario Brothers shirt that I've got on right now, and everybody get in your 80s attire real quick so I can take oh. your picture on the thing. Let us see it. Andy, put your Andy, there you go. Andy is posing as ET tonight. Yes, <clears throat> that's going to be an awkward picture, but that's awesome because that's the 80s. But I did forget what I was saying. Andy, go. <laughs> <laughs> The mall. Man, the mall. The mall was where I used to go and like cruise for chicks, man. <laughs> <laughs> like I would like psych myself up and I'd get like twenty dollars. And I was like, today is the day I'm gonna talk to 
a girl and um I don't think I ever spoke to a girl at the mall, um, but I would go. It would be like but you a had Saturday. your twenty bucks. I had my twenty bucks. I remember buying the Outcast CD. Okay. Oh boy. Um, I worked at the mall. I worked at like hmm. I found a loop. Well, I say it was a loophole. I was young. I was like seventeen, eighteen, and I was like, "Women's store have to women's store have to hire men." And so I worked at Victoria's Secret, and I worked at Wet Seal, um, and I was like, <laughs> I love the 80s. "They've got they've got to they've got to hire me because I'm a man." And if they sure. don't, I'm they gonna discriminate against you. You can't discriminate and. <laughs> the Victoria's Secret ladies were the nastiest ladies I've ever met in my life. Oh no! Oh <laughs> okay. no! <Okay. laughs> Not no. the customers, the ladies. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. um, but I was surprised at the crudeness. <laughs> oh wow! I mean, says the guy what? who exploited the the legal loophole to get a job there. <laughs> Either way, self awareness. Sure, self awareness. I did it. So right. Um, Many fond memories of the mall, I, but I never met that special someone. Mm-hmm. Um, it took it took me going to camp, but we're not mm. talking about camp. Oh no! Unless, but if it, yeah. unless we talk about episode one. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's we'll, right. Because we'll Dustin, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dustin got master back of segues. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Nice. That was deftly done. That was really well, great. So mall story here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I like the mall. It was fun. Uh, no, I worked at the mall uh, as well at the old Christian bookstore and have lots of fond memories of the mall. Um, and I exploited that loophole because these days they'd be like, I don't know about that, Nathan. Are you sure you want to work here? Um, but uh, actually, my my fondest memories of the mall as a kid was much like the Stranger Things crew at the arcade. Um, I've referenced it before, I think, on the show, but. Uh, good pal growing up, Lucas Schaefer in Columbus, Georgia. We would go to Diamond Gems on Sunday morning. His dad would load us up with a bunch of quarters and off we'd go for a few hours. It was a grand old time uh, when that would happen. And then a few years later in high school, yes, worked at the mall. And I still get made fun of by my wife because I will still comment how whenever we're at the mall, I'm like, I sure do like the mall. It's a weird, I don't, I don't even really... I can't explain it's it. Safe. Just it's safe. Nostal- well, not really. I mean, <laughs> um, we had a shooting at one of ours about oh, a year ago. Oh my but, god! But yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh my uh, god! But Just I mean, that, that's, that's America. So what do we say? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Malls, Heroes, movies, so churches. So yeah, yeah. Little, things were going yeah. great. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so all of a sudden, it's like reality Yay, comes malls. crashing down. Oh yes, yes, yes. Nonetheless. Well, no, I have a grand I, fondness for the mall. Yes, read. Well, you just described this whole like, oh man, I love the mall. Like we did. So, so when things had started to decline a bit in terms of COVID cases and everything, we went and I was with my in-laws and it was me, my wife, my son and her parents. And we were just browsing around at their mall, which is a legit mall, but uh, you know, it's, um, 
What is an illegit mall? <laughs> one where it's like like a strip, strip mall. mall. Yeah, yeah right. like a strip, strip mall. That's, 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 a, yeah, yeah. that's an illegit mall. But that's the illegit mall. mall. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like you know, okay. you you go Too inside. Legit. You have it, you have to have like at least three escalators. You know, I don't oh, okay. know exactly okay. what the rules okay. are, but okay. okay. Um, but yeah, just the the fondness of just like walk. I remember thinking like as I was walking, I was like, oh my god, I miss this. I love this. So just walking around. There's this little you know, I walk by a guy who's trying to sell me something that'll clean my phone, and I'm not interested. But I'm you know, I'm just keep mm. moving right on down and then uh the all the little like stands for calendars and things like that i just it's fun it was just really enjoyable and i picked up uh, i think a couple of shits creek t-shirts while i was there that you mm. know i was just like oh man it's just fun to look around because i think that's the thing is like uh browsing things on the internet is not quite the same because mm-hmm. there's there has to be a certain degree of like prompting you have to be looking for something i mean yeah you can go to a particular website and start to browse things but um uh, i don't know i just loved the discovery of the mall, the surprise of the mall. Like I'm going to stumble across something, either window shopping or I, I walk in and like something catches my eye and there's just, um, it, it's not quite the same doing that anymore. And uh, so, yeah. Or you might stumble upon a transmission of a Russian recording and code uh, signaling other nefarious activities. Speaking of deft segues. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we are here uh, not just to talk about uh, malls, but to talk about Stranger Things, episode one and two. Um uh, I, I would give you each a, a, a few moments to just talk about your general like fondness or not for Stranger Things. Um, and since this is season three, presumably you've seen one and two as well. Asia, I'm going to come to you first. Um, what do you what do you generally think about like where where do Stranger Things sit in your imagination? Just like, oh, that's a show or, you know, great fondness or where does that sit for you? I loved, loved Stranger Things during my first interactions with it ever every Mm. i didn't see it until many many months after the rest of the world had i was very late late to the party and i think i was putting off watching it because i just didn't want to hop on the bandwagon but then once i did i was like okay i guess we're buckling in because i'm here for the rest of this (laughs) because this is fantastic um so yeah lots of fondness for Mm. the whole the lore of the show the the characters obviously are just such um, wonderful, wonderful sticking points for anybody to just latch onto and say, I love each and every one of you. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, a lot of fondness there for all of the seasons. I was surprised if for some reason in my memory, I had it in my mind that I wasn't very fond of season three and oh. then upon revisiting episodes one and two for this, mm-hmm. I was like, I really like this. Why? <laughs> awesome. What was I thinking? This is, <laughs> this is great. I'm, I'm enjoying myself. What's yeah. Going on? There's a definite energy around. I had a similar experience watching these two and I already knew my affection going into it was high, but in many ways, because I'd seen the show a couple of times, I thought like, Oh, well this will just be the box check. I'm going to refresh myself on the narratives. And then maybe 15 minutes into the first episode i was like oh my god mm-hmm. that music i see uh, you know like hopper and, and mike and l are like trying to make out the room and everything it's just like it's so so much uh, about the energy of the show and like you said the characters just begins to sort of enliven and energize me andy what about you where's your where does stranger things sit for you um on the shelf oh nice. no <laughs> I you just, just kind of uh, tolerate it. I tolerate it. I I tried to. I got into the on first the season. That was nice. 
what on the show yeah that's just clever i appreciate it what can i say (laughs) what can i say um i i I just couldn't get into the hype you know Mm. like i just um i i uh was born in 1987 so i didn't get like the 80s 80s like i Mm. sort of did but i would i would i'm more of a 90s kid so i just stranger things didn't doesn't have that um pal for sure. me um it's 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 just like uh here it is <laughs> <laughs> oh simp music wow oh john carpenter influence yeah i know yeah so, well, so, all right all right all right so no it's it's so really come fun back having you at the party yeah 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 go get a drink go refresh or your drink yeah. yes, at the yes. party <laughs> um i i i am the one who was so down on season two that i was worried going into three uh when i initially watched it and i blazed through season three the first time in in sort of the weekend watch the viewing and then my older kids in 2021 like uh maybe fall maybe fall okay uh it was during covid era but um can't remember precisely when got them into the show which had an adverse effect because they at least one of them became hyper obsessed to the point of annoyance but um that's a whole other thing um (laughs) nonetheless rewatched the whole series with them and just just recalibrated on two and rediscovered my love of three uh we did a whole family viewing of that and even just re-watching these two first two episodes i don't I, and i say this sincerely i uh, whatever misgivings i have on two i completely abandoned for three i I, mm. I love the energy i love the cast i love the new characters i love the interactions i mean even just I think I think uh, getting into specifics of the episode, I think the the reintroduction and reacquaintance of um, Steve and Dustin are, is is one of the most glorious, joyous scenes in just about anything. It's so fun and so wonderful having those characters do their thing. And and I love Joe Keery. I mean, they they stumbled on something really special with him. David Harbour is just amazing. I don't know. I, I really, really have a fondness for, for especially season three. I, I am apprehensive if I'm perfectly honest about what four might be, uh, mm. but I, I'm, I'm willing to go into it open-hearted and open-minded. Uh, sure. But for the moment, as far as, as far as this goes, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. Yeah. And I, I would agree too that, well, with each season, I remember to your point when season two ended and I was out the gate an apologist for season two. There were a lot of people oh, who I know. Let's you know, yeah. I mean, with you know, it really, it 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 was taxing. Um, but uh, <laughs> I remember like there were just there were things about the boldness of them trying a couple of new things that I liked, and I, that's not to say that I thought everything worked wonderfully well. But I feel like I just really connected with several things that they were attempting that made it more endearing than I kind of uh, expected. And so then when season three is, again, so energetic right out the gate, they recalibrate to some of the things that they had really captured from the first one with, okay, 
This is, we're really going to embrace the eighties. Like, uh, it, it doesn't really kick in until episode two, but like that whole, like spending so much time at the mall and just everything again, feels very eighties. I will say about season two, that season two felt like it was generally just set in the same town. And you have like a couple of things here or there that stand out, but it's all takes place around Halloween. So that, I don't know. It, it didn't quite feel as much like it was an 80s love letter. And then I think they recalibrated to put that back in. And I do think that I was mentioning this to my wife that I think that I would be curious. I think the show is objectively great for, for my opinion, but I do think it benefits a bit from timing because I do wonder if season one were to drop, say, right now, or if season one were to drop during the pandemic, I wonder if it would have been the cultural phenomenon that it became. And that's not to take anything away from the quality of the show that I think is there, but I do wonder. Netflix produces so much now. And Stranger Things came out when they were not doing, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, any percentage of degree to what they're putting out right now. So they basically pumped a lot of marketing into like it's stranger things. And then it's the OA. And there were like a few other shows that they had kind of oh, really way. right. Oh, but they had really like, the whoa, <laughs> the whoa. <Way. laughs> but, um, and so I do wonder about that. Cause I think stranger. Th and again, that's not to say that I think stranger things is subpar. I genuinely love it, but I think the reason it caught on so profoundly culturally speaking is uh, it benefited from when it came out as well, I think. Um, so pointing to, uh, we can dive in a little bit if you want, pointing to a couple of things. I figure maybe we can round Robin if anybody has a couple of things that they specifically want to mention. Um, I did want to call out just because I'm a horror nerd and I only recently watched this movie like within the last two years, but the movie that they're watching in the theater is Day of the Dead, which is the second sequel to the original Night of the Living Dead by uh, George Romero. And so that's, that's uh -huh. the opening sequence of the third film in George Romero's Dead series called Day of the Dead. Um, the second thing I'll mention before I give somebody else the floor is um, I do love you mentioned David Harbour like I love Harper as a character take apart everything that I said about like Stranger Things and its 80s love and everything like I think Har Hopper is a genuinely interesting genuinely well-rounded uh, David Harbour's performance as well like I think that's a character that is strong regardless of the show he's sure. a yeah. very interesting character um, he's interesting because he is that sort of alpha male type but he's got a legitimately big heart that is apparent in what he's doing like he's doing what he's doing because he cares but there's also a kind of a an undercurrent of melancholy to everything that's happening um, so I think again huge applause to David Harbour's performance but I think Hopper is uh, a particularly strong character by any objective standards from, from my point of view. Um, somebody else uh, take the baton uh, uh, specifically, maybe if there's something in this uh, first episode, Susie, do you copy that uh, you wrote down or mentioned or, or can think of that you want to point out? Oh, you go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, I just love, I love the um, idea of just like the girlfriend and oh, talking yeah. to him and mm. talking to her and like we've all maybe we all haven't been there but like we've gone to camp and we fall in love <laughs> and um we come back and nobody's gone to the same camp as us and we're like oh yeah i mm -hmm. met Susie at camp and, we're gonna <laughs> <talk>. <laughs> and it's gonna be so sweet and everybody's like no no you didn't meet a girl look at you and i was like oh. 
<laughs> it's like, and then I spent, uh, then that started this and that started and that. I'm just I kidding. That. But just, um, camp is very nostalgic for me just because mm. I met my wife at a camp and, mm. um, I helped put on summer camps and it's the second year we're missing our youth summer camp. Cause I'm a, many of you know, I'm a youth pastor. And so we're missing it still just, just to be safe mm. for COVID. Um, but just the, I love summer camp love and mm-hmm. it's just so amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, and you, you make an interesting point, Andy, because as, as poppy as the show is, they, they really find some, some emotional, mileage out of some of those notes they hit about about the growing relationships mm-hmm. of the kids and the the distance they're feeling i'm thinking specifically of will uh, his attempts to oh gosh yeah reestablish what is clearly lost in in terms of the the circle that that existed yeah. or at least the way it existed and and to your point about dustin's maturation despite being kind of still the the clown uh, the growth he's experiencing that has, you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, that has one of the most superb payoffs in just about anything. But, yes. um, but no, I, I'm with you. I, I really love how they reintroduce because because so often a st- something like this could run the risk, and they often do. Of your characters never move; that they, they just mm-hmm. are static kind of thing, static kind of entities. And so I do like at least that there's it's kind of like there's, lost. I don't know what that means, but uh, <laughs> there's 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 life happening off screen for these characters, and I think that's yeah. I think that's pretty powerful. Yeah, hey, no, Asia, I, Asia, what about you? Any specifics of these? Yeah, you were about to say something. Well, I think I think the the main theme, and gosh, I hope this is episode one. I think episode one and two kind of ran together for me. Mm. The whole sub narrative going on with Mrs. Wheeler and Billy. Mm. I believe oh, that yeah. that starts yeah, accumulating yeah, starts in episode yeah, one. It's in one. Mm-hmm. That whole sub-narrative to me was so out of left field. You know, when you mm-hmm. first start watching it, you're like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. her Nancy's mom and, and this terrible person from season two. Like, how is this happening? But I kept, and I don't want to jump ahead in the, the pace of the podcast too quickly, but I I caught up with Stranger Things after I had watched Hellraiser and the beats that I just kept thinking about is the question of how different were the decisions made between Mm. Mrs. Wheeler versus, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. like opportunities that were given to um, lead characters in Hellraiser, which again, I won't won't get there before we get there. But that really, really stood out to me, this viewing Mm. of the struggle that this sort of disenchanted housewife kind of mm. has to go through and, and just what a, I think in some sense it's, it's kind of played up a lot for laughs and doesn't really end up going anywhere, but it really was a, a narrative that had such potentially catastrophic consequences. Mm. Had it had pretty much anything gone differently, mm, you know, yeah. given the fact yeah. that it had, Mrs. Wheeler and he actually met up versus had she just been on the same road as him that night, trying to get to the same place. It's right. It's what a interesting little plot that doesn't ultimately end up panning out to anything, but that really, really at least took me for a ride this Mm. viewing. Sure. Well, I, I think, I think you're illustrating too, though, one of the strengths of, 
perhaps the overall show, but specifically season three, not literally everybody, but they serve these characters really well. And, yes. and the fact that you can take what, yes, is slightly out of left field, but have for as little screen time as that arc actually gets, it packs a punch when it's mm-hmm. present. I mean, mm-hmm. what stops her is rather emotionally charged and I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even that, if you recall, you know, uh, ahead of the where we're at currently, but there is that arc is buoyed up later in the mm-hmm. season with just their involvement at the at the carnival thing, the circle, whatever right. it's called. Yeah. Um, and point being, I'm with you. I think I think they serve her well. And the fact that that steers, no pun intended, directly into the conflict of the whole season, which is Billy's being overtaken. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, one more thing I want to mention about that that's more present in episode one before we move on to episode two is um, Joyce, obviously huge, abundant affection for Winona Ryder. Um, she was one of the anchor points for me, the only real actor that I knew going into season one. It was like, oh, Winona Ryder's in this. Um, and I love that they've carried over some things about her relationship with Bob, Sean Astin, who died in season two. And so much of the, what I love about it is I love the, the little touches that they've made things like they've drawn the little superhero Bob that they put on the fridge. She's sitting there having a TV dinner alone and remembering how they used to laugh about a TV show that melancholy really um, digs in. And especially because the rapport she has with Hopper I really appreciate the way the show in this early stage is handling that, that it's like, it's not just that she and Hopper who are clearly friends and clearly close and clearly have gone through some things together that they have a bond. Um, And clearly also he has some feelings for her that he wants to try to explore, but she's still, I I just like that. They didn't just write Bob off that. It wasn't just like, Oh, he was the cameo appearance for season two. And now is sort of uh, summarily dispatched. I like that. They tried to do a couple of things to show exactly how she's coping and, and kind of trying to move. I just really like that growth for that character, which is more highlighted in episode one than it is in uh, episode two. There's Um, there's a lot of really, the grief there is really tangible and mm -hmm. it's really powerful. No, I abs- I absolutely agree. Um, so if we didn't have anything more on that, episode two is called The Mall Rats. And we're not going into a lot of plot details in this, but fundamentally in episode one, we find our characters. We mentioned Dustin is back home from camp and the, the, the kind of the crew is all reunited. They've got Mad Max part of the team now and uh, everybody's kind of uh, joining together. But Mike and Elle are officially sort of dating. But in episode one, Hopper kind of puts a kibosh on that. He doesn't like where that's heading and he gives Mike the threatening dad talk. So Mike backs right off. But when he backs off, of course, Elle, who her experiences throughout the entire show have been completely unlike any other child, uh, not only because of her supernatural abilities, but just her experience growing up in the lab and everything. So uh, there, there's a very... Uh, specific way in which she understands trust in the world. And so one of the things core is friends don't lie. Like, do you lie? Friends don't lie. Like uh, lying is like one of the worst possible things in Elle's mind that you can do to her. So when Mike under threat of Hopper 
beating him up or doing whatever uh lies to her about his his nana um then that sends her into the you know she she's gonna break up with him she runs off with max to the mall where we spend probably two-thirds of this episode is just in them running around the mall which is uh pure delight but your mom called it's your grandma. <laughs> it's not okay. <laughs> I love David Harbour so much. And I love that you can see him in real time crafting them. He's like, your mom. And like, you yeah. know, like you can see the wheels yeah, turning yeah. behind his eyes. It was just, it was really, really funny. Um, Have any of you ever had the dad talk or the mom talk with, um, mm, with somebody what? that's what your you potential... Asking? Like like mm-hmm. Harper had with him of us like you hurt my daughter I'm gonna kill you like as as anybody ever has I that feel ever it happened to you but haven't <laughs> had to do it yet you haven't had to do it have no. like before oh I had it done you. to me yeah yeah what I had what did you have had, done to you I, <laughs> my my high school girlfriend's dad had the talk with me wow but he was but he was weird like he okay. was straight up weird <laughs> he worked the third shift. And I kid you not, he requested that his entire family sleep through the day and stay awake with him at night. That's, and well, yeah, that's not but, weird. That's deranged. <laughs> but and it was and so like when I started uh, seeing uh, his daughter, I it, yeah, it was like just the whole dynamic was a bit odd and you sure it's um, not like a let let the right one in sort of scenario right like you escaped a horror movie <laughs> maybe i did <laughs> maybe i did maybe his life just got best. so much better realizing that he's like, like wait oh man that's amazing hallelujah that's uh, that's yeah. <laughs> so hey, but no did somebody's mom like take you aside and this is my baby like <laughs> you don't hurt him <laughs> or her you know until yeah moms um, don't tend to have those talks as much my dad was the exact opposite of any mm. of that, though. Like, my my mom was more the one to be a little, little bit like mm. that. Mm. But whenever I would tell my dad, like, hey, so-and-so wants to, like, date me, he's going to come ask you if he can date me. He'd be like, why? Like, they're going to date you, not me. Like, that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, to illustrate this point a little bit, when we were doing the family watching of season three, there were chuckles in the room at my expense because of how resonant my family knows those hopper scenes are. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm with you, bro. Like, (laughs) I haven't had to deal with that yet, but thank you, COVID, you know. Here it goes. We've all been in the house for a year and there's been no, none of that whatever happening. Oh Uh, my God. But I do, yeah, I worry about me during those, (laughs) during those times. Um, I did want to throw out, damn, oh, I wanted to add one more to the mix here that's relevant to all of it is, uh, Reed, you mentioned Winona Ryder and just the casting in general. Of course, we get Carrie Elwes as Larry the Mayor, but oh, yeah. I mean, is there a better addition writ large than Maya Hawk as Robin? I mean, mm. she is so great in this season, and uh, I have increased affection for that family, specifically after Good Lord Bird, which she also uh, shows up in throughout so just really fun addition to the gang here um yeah um yeah. i do love the new characters like you mentioned and uh i have one more thing that i'll mention if nobody else does but i want to sort of give the floor before we you know sort of round this out and move on into our next film does anybody else have anything either specifically about episode two about these first pair of episodes or something about stranger things that that you haven't mentioned that you want to if not i'll wrap off with my thing and we'll move on but mm, anything no i do no? 
Oh, I mean, you know, one of the one of the the touch points of the whole series is it's is it's excellent music selections and few Mm. are as well selected and timed as cold as ice from the police when 11 dumps Mike. That is a great moment. It was wonderful. wonderful. I was thinking that this particular like the first couple of episodes, they really pull out like they're they are starting strong with some of their big, big, you know, recognizable 80s song, you know, like I just died in your arms tonight. And, mm. and they're, they're really going that in for this episode. These two? Well, yeah. 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 It's when, it's when, when uh, Mrs. Wheeler is putting on the makeup oh, and daydreaming about great, Billy. That's a yeah. Great song. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we, what song. we, what we did is a great song. What we didn't mention uh, before we leave is just the primary threat. So it's easy to forget because these first couple of episodes set the stage so well about uh, these great characters, these great character relationships that this is ostensibly still a horror show. And the primary threat here, at least what we know about it, is Billy, who we mentioned earlier. He was an absolute tool in episode in, in season two. But in this one, he has been sort of sucked in by this entity whose intentions and motives we don't know yet. But there's this severe like infection. And what we know about it is he's been sent to sort of like bring in others to try to get copied and infected as well. Maybe duplicated, maybe just infected themselves. That one shot in episode two where Mrs. Wheeler is like trying to check on him and it looks oh, like, yeah. and you think for a second, he right. just turns around. Yeah. Just turns around and slams her head against the wall. It's just an illusion. But uh, yeah, that I forgot that moment and jumped straight up out of the chair when I was watching it. Um, but we still don't know entirely very much about it except, uh, Oh God, the rats, like the rats are all swarming mm-hmm. to it and then popping like popcorn. It was just Ugh. like, yeah, it's, it's really, really. So, you know, we'll learn more about that thread as time goes on, but if everybody's okay, we'll, uh, draw to a close. Are we all, are we all good. Are we ready for, <clears throat> so ladies and gentlemen, it's time now. Uh, you, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. It's time to exit the mall and you have to make your purchases, make your way to your counter and, uh, and, and just pick up your items and then leave. And we'll see you back here next time, next week. And as a matter of fact, when we have yet another 80s party and we revisit uh, Stranger Things season two, this time for episodes three and four. We'll see you right back here next week. Hopefully not in the upside down, but hopefully very, very much in all things Starcourt and Hawkins at hashtag TV guideposts. Awesome. Lovely. Love it. It's lovely. So before we go to hell, um, (laughs) you know, we're, we're in the middle of, um, or we're beginning rather, uh, this, this run of eighties films that we're covering. And the thing that I forgot to mention earlier, when I mentioned, I lost my train of thought or forgot what I was going to say is had I not gotten this shirt, I did, I was ready to inform that I am the only one of the four of us who was literally alive for every second of the eighties. So I did at least have that going for me, even if I good point under, uh, which, which is that a, is that a badge of honor? I don't know. Um, but we wanted to, uh, we wanted to turn the dial back, uh, read. Do you want to, do you want to needle drop for us here? Turn back time. You want to do that for us? You mean like, Sing the song. Yeah, there it is. There it is. There it is. Home. <laughs> <laughs> My wife will appreciate that if she listens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so yes. Much like um, 
when we were doing what were we doing when we covered box office mode we were stuff, do, well right? we were going through uh 2020 2020 that's we were right looking at the best like the yes. box office grosses from each year that we covered when we did that. so something we wanted to do before we got to hellraiser and see if y'all have seen these movies uh i know most of us probably have but it's just fun to go year by year via box office mojo to know what were the top films of each year of the 1980s oh, so boy. starting with 1980 any guesses so we're looking for the top box office yep. grocer for 1980 yep god is it no, star wars it is in fact a star wars is it Andy, empire it strikes is star back? wars episode five the empire strikes back wow. which made 203 million dollars which is change not much money by <laughs> today's standards uh this is a fun one i have not looked at these other than i pulled up 1980 a while back uh, so i'd seen that one 1981 uh clocking in at 108 million dollars and i'm pretty sure that's yeah it says total gross i, I don't know if that's wow. a different difference between i don't know if they were clocking international back then or not i just don't know uh but number one in 1981 was richard donner's superman 2 oh nice oh, that's cool, cool. That's 1982 our very own guest today was the steven spielberg directed 314 million grossing et the extraterrestrial that doesn't surprise me at all that was an absolute behemoth of of pop culture and everything a behemoth it's a huge I, mean, I, I know enormous i'm just ribbing i'm ribbing your pronunciation um uh that's a huge me um in 19 1983 uh 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 what's what's old is new again uh 1983 at 247 million is star wars episode 6 return of the jedi featuring the yub yub ewoks uh here's a fun one in 1984 the top grossing film in 1984 was alien not alien nope uh ghostbusters Ghostbusters. Yeah, Ghostbusters is a very '80s film. That doesn't surprise me. I ain't afraid no goof. Uh, number number. Or I'm sorry, 1985, number one grossing film. It was referenced before we started recording, I think, and that is Roads. Where we're going, we won't need roads. Yeah, back to the back to the future part one. That's right. 1986. What is the tune? <laughs> we've we've lost him for a second. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm I'm not going to try it again. But it is the Tom Cruise starring sequel oh. yet to be released. Oh, Top Gun. Top Gun. Oh. Yeah, with Val Kilmer chomping his gum. I have never seen it. Really? I have never wow. seen it's Top so Gun. I have never seen uh, Top Gun. I mean. Gun. I don't like love it or anything, but you know, yeah, it's it's one of those check classics. Should yeah, check it like out. Volleyball. Okay. Do you like volleyball? I like volleyball? Yeah, volleyball. <laughs> and, volleyball um, is like it's like the, the scene. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's funny. Um, you'll love Goose. It's the character Goose. You'll love it. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, uh, best. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love inside jokes. They're they're always so fun for me. I mean, the movie's <laughs> almost forty years old, so it's not really that. Uh, spoiler alert! There, uh, 1987. I have not seen this movie or its first iteration, and that is Beverly Hills Cop Two was Ooh. the top-grossing yes. film 
1987. We're almost there, folks. The Two left. 1988. 156 million. Uh, uh, who framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, that's a great oh. movie. That's a great that's, movie. You've about. never seen that, Asia? Oh, it's so fun. It's on I Disney seen Plus. ET either. Oh, really? Oh, oh wow. Yeah. You gotta ET. watch ET. That's good. Yeah. ET is one of the. It's my costume. <laughs> and it, you know what? And when if you when you make it when you eventually make it to ET, it is one of those that's just like, yeah, it it is simultaneously very eighties and a bit transcendent as well. It really is like one of those sort of uh, timeless little nuggets. So, but anyway, yes, um, that gets heavily homaged in Stranger Things season one. By the way, mm-hmm. uh, that it does. Um, does. Nineteen eighty nine. I think I know this one. I think I know this one. Just so good. It's can I guess, gentlemen. Let's broaden our minds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It is Batman, Tim Burton's okay. Batman. What? Yep. Uh, Batman. <laughs> Thanks for playing, everybody. Asia's like, yeah, all these movies, you old people. <laughs> I mean, so I grew up, I, I grew up with like 40s and 50s movies. Mm, okay. And then 80s movies are something that I kind of came rounded back to in my 20s. So I'm ah. slowly getting getting through. Well, now you have a, a list to check off. So la- last thing before we get into this, you know, quintessential 80s film that we're discussing today. Um, the so my wife watched a lot of fun sort of popcorny movies in the 80s and specifically like rom-coms and all the Brat Pack stuff. A lot of that was a niche I did not see because i was watching a lot of like horror stuff and i was watching the more you know science fictiony and and uh you know broader stuff so for the first time in my life like two weeks ago watched pretty in pink had never seen it and and so every once in a while she'll bring up like oh here's uh uh, like you've never seen pretty in pink like Mm -hmm. what you've never seen ferris bueller's day off whatever and then she'll she'll rectify that and so you haven't seen ferris bueller's day off i have now but that was one of the that was one of the movies where like just on on regular rotation about maybe once every couple of months my wife will be like have you said wait have you ever have you never seen desperately seeking susan oh wait have you never seen can't buy me love you know all these little sort of staples of 80s rom-coms 80s teen rom-coms and so yeah anyway that hmm. for to whom it may concern yeah. so yeah Reed, but, why don't you uh, take us into our film here but definitely uh representing pretty much everything people think of when they think of 80s <laughs> films uh is uh clive barker's directorial debut hellraiser um easily one of the most bonkers bananas <laughs> Uh, wildest films. So, okay. So I have, I have a question. I knew Nathan hadn't, and I knew metatextually that eight now know that Asia had not seen it before. Andy, had you ever seen Hellraiser before? Am I the only person who had, this is a repeat experience. <laughs> I'm the only person who's a repeat experience. Guys, I, I'm just going to go get some popcorn and come back. And I want to hear what y'all think about this movie because I love, so I really love this film, but it's as you've, are aware now having seen it it's the kind of film that i'm like whenever i tell people oh yeah are you, you gonna watch hellraiser i'm just chomping at the mm. bit of like what do you, you think of hellraiser like what you because it's such a weird different and i i don't know of anything else like it and 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 that's hard to say in these horror movie sort of tropes i don't know anything else like it i mean you can say it's it's in the slasher genre but it's not it's it, that's not what the movie's about um and and so it's like i can't Almost really more of an erotic fantasy <laughs> like i don't know like and, it's, and so it's like 
It is so completely and and here's what's weird about it. Like I think Nathan, you and I said on an episode that Blake was guesting on where we had mentioned that Roger Ebert, as much love as we would pour out on Roger Ebert, that when he gets it wrong, he like really gets it wrong. Roger Ebert said this movie was bankrupt of imagination. I'm like, what movie did you watch? This is nothing but imagination. Like I, like so many of the different things that, that they don't go into tremendous depth to try to explain or hand to you. It's just sort of you're expected to sort of keep pace with what's possible. And and with and they it's not that they don't explain any rules at all, but they certainly don't unpack it all for you. Um, so, yeah, I I will yield to whoever wants to go first. But it's kind of just I want to hear from all three of you. Like, what do you think when you were watching this movie? Were you like. I think I asked this of you, Asia, uh, off pod of just like, where is it like, I liked this or I've made a terrible mistake? You know, like mm-hmm. what, was, mm-hmm. what was the feeling? So why don't you go first, actually? I want to hear more of your thoughts about it. Yeah, I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, I think I responded when you asked me that, you know, there are certain elements of not terrible mistake, but this is by far one of the like the visually nastiest movies I've ever seen. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. they but they were they did their job the the mm. visual effects the practical effects of this film were nauseating in all of the correct ways <laughs> and right, right, right. Yeah. it it was it it made me feel so many conflicting emotions at the same time which mm. i think was what they were trying to do that whole idea of pain and pleasure indivisible is mm. kind of equally the experience of the audience writing their way through whatever it is that's going to happen next. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And I, I loved that. I totally agree with you that I've never heard this story before. At least mm. I've never heard it done this way. Right. And I was just totally locked in pretty much from the first scene, you know, when you've got, Oh, this, interesting looking box you're out in the middle of the desert you've got like carrie grant and jeff goldblum's love child sitting in a (laughs) like a candle circle trying to incantate something i was just there i was on board from Mm. the first second um it yeah there there are definitely like little things that i could nitpick and did consider as mm, maybe kind of distractions for me along the way but All of the positive emotions I felt about it far outweighed any of the distracting elements that that kind of peaked up throughout the experience. Very cool. Very cool. Andy, what did what was your what was your experience of it? I didn't check my phone while I watched it, which was pretty cool. That's high praise. Um, Yes. (laughs) In 2021, Um, it is. That is very high praise. uh, I just I just didn't get it. (laughs) that is such a that's such the right reaction it's like what (laughs) what in the world did i just watch yeah like what i expected just from you know just horror lore i guess was like Mm -hmm. pinhead was gonna do more than just Mm. like stand there and just be like right right you know yeah an old chomping at the bit guy was uh, <laughs> was yeah. just like i mean it's creepy but i just i did not know what i want it wasn't but it wasn't art for me you know what i'm saying sure. <laughs> andy is throwing down man he's like why am i here i don't care for stranger things i did not like this movie no, I, I didn't say andy I didn't ebert like it. 
I didn't oh. say I didn't like it. I just said I didn't quite understand what mm. I was watching. Like, Fair point. I, appropriate. I, yeah. I, I just, I thought there was going to, something, hell was going to break loose or <laughs> more. You know? I mean, and in your defense. Race. <laughs> yeah, in your defense. I mean, I, I had never seen it. And yeah, you, you, um, I kind of love that it's not a very predictable narrative. Right. Mm. Um, yeah, that's true. I know what you're saying for as significant as Pinhead and that imagery is to the canon. It's pretty minimally deployed in this entry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know that I'll ever get to subsequent films, but I kind of like this notion that clearly it's meant, you know, is the, the, the box as this portal is going to resurface across time or other people's lives and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know. It was so effed up and just, it's funny. You watch a movie like this and you know that in its day, I didn't do this research, but I just know how we are and Christians who probably were like, Oh my God, Hellraiser!" Uh but you're like, Uh you are so dumb. Like, you were oh, so yeah. dumb to to get all up in arms over this. I know the word hell just scares you, but this is a dumb hear this with love. This is a dumb movie and you're really making a whole lot of nothing about nothing. You know what I mean? Like isn't that's not me uh actually dismissing the film. I'm simply saying like it's gross and it's grotesque and and that's you know we, we Christians don't like yucky and so I get that. Right. Uh, right. And, it, and it's got some sexuality to it but in terms of just things to hills to die on this really wasn't yeah. one of those after you watched it you're like oh i don't know what right. i was expecting but that wasn't quite it now right um that that actually <laughs> yeah, sounds like right. <laughs> yeah that sounds like i'm uh poo-pooing the film which i'm not really because actually i mean i think i, I you know it is impossible to argue that the creature designs aren't exceptional i mean it's oh, it's right. yeah you know uh, on on the right night if you aren't familiar with horror lore like these would be nightmarish and and nightmare sure. inducing sort of figures to to view um i mean that that weird ass hallway larva thing you Scorp- know stuff like yeah the, sc- yeah scorpion. the scorpion tail mm-hmm. yeah, yeah the scorpion disgusting. tail thing. yeah um Blah. so no i i am I am glad to have watched it for my knowledge of the canon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I and I wouldn't even say I didn't like that. It's just so weird and bonkers. You're like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I have seen it, and <laughs> I will spend I will spend time and conversation in the course of the coming years thinking about it and talking about it and sort of figuring out what I think about that. Uh, but sure. That was so, kind of the experience. Yeah, Reed. So, so bef- oh no, oh, go ahead, Andy. Reed, is it is it safe to assume that you've seen more than one of these? Yeah, yeah. Does uh, like Pinhead like do anything? <laughs> yeah, no, like, he does. So, what's fascinating about that? That's that's worth mentioning. Is that actually Pinhead in the novel? This is based on. Well, it's really more like a lengthy short story, a novella, if you will. But it's called the Hellbound Heart. And in that novella, Pinhead is A, not even named, 
-hmm. he is given precisely one line of description in the entire text of the book. He is in the corner with one line of description, and that is his entire footprint in the original novella. He was not supposed to be the image icon that he is. And in fact, he didn't even have these lines of dialogue when he was right. originally cast. It was supposed to be uh, like the, the more sort of uh, oozy butterball character. That's the lead of the Cenobites in the book. And that was supposed to get all the, but he can't talk through that apparatus makeup wise. And so then uh, they thought about the chatterer going to that one next, but also could not, verbalized very well with that so it naturally pivoted over to uh doug bradley in pinhead they did want to give some more lines of dialogue to the uh female cenobite but whenever she would move her head a lot because the i mean again practical effects for for years as asia pointed out the the apparatus that she's wearing on her head if she's too emotive or moves around too much it just falls apart and they didn't have a major budget on this to keep fixing that so they were like okay pinhead's makeup is pretty stable plus doug bradley has a just absolutely glorious baritone voice like his voice is absolutely just rich in tone so like let's just give it to doug bradley let's give the lines to doug bradley so then they did that and then in the subsequent film so like in the second film major spoiler for the second film, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. To even further to your point, Andy, there's a character in Hellbound that is so awful that our main character... Like a human all, character. A or, human character okay. who is also trying to... Because uh, uh, the wife in this comes back. She's resurrected in Julia? the second one. Yeah, Julia is um, resurrected <laughs> in the second one. And then there's another one, a Dr. Chenard, who is so obsessed with like the lament configuration. Oh, sorry. The box is called the lament configuration. They never call it out in the in the first uh, film, but that's that's what the box is called. So, and he's so obsessed with this thing that uh, then he he does the whole process. He goes, he opens the box, he becomes one of them, and he's so evil, wicked, and bad that uh, our main character. Gosh, uh, I've seen this movie a dozen times, and I don't know her. I don't remember her name. Uh, Ashley Lawrence is the actor. Uh, Kirsty. Oh, Kirsty. So yeah. Kirsty. So um, Kirsty calls upon the Cenobites, and Pinhead comes, and the rest of the Cenobites come to um, basically stop Doctor Chenard, and Doctor Chenard does away with them, like he defeats them, and that's their presence in the second one. Is that he appeals to their humanity, he reverts them from their Cenobite form back into their human form. They reconnect with their humanity and he defeats them. So it is not until the third movie that Pinhead emerges as more of a look, sort of a straightforward demonic hunting type of character. In the first two films, to your point, Andy, he's very much like just sort of in the background and not what you would normally expect from like a slasher icon kind of thing. Now, I haven't okay. seen all of these films, but I've seen that I think they've made like nine of them, of which I have probably seen five or six. So, okay, so um, let me get some questions out the way. Ah, <laughs> question time. So, um, oh boy, who pain and pleasure. That's his name. I don't know. Frank. Yeah, Frank. Frank. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, he becomes a Cenobite. Is that what we're, is that what we're no, saying? He's, he's not, he's just, he's just cutting up. He just gets we're, destroyed. We're just, yeah. He, he just, just gets, gets destroyed. destroyed and he, he wanted that. He, he, right. Is that what he wanted? Or he wanted the pleasure. 
Well, he, so one of the things that's fascinating about this is for those to whom that their obsession draws them towards the box, it's really a kind of a, a curiosity that mm-hmm. just will not let them go. It's not, it's not even so much that they know what they're going to find when they open it. They just have heard the mythology They've heard the legend and they become obsessed with opening this thing and they don't know what it's going to bring upon them when they do. So it's not even that there's this super calculated like, oh, I want to do this because I want to engage with this, that or the other. And so like 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 Pinhead's line in this movie, the simplicity of the box, you opened it, we came like I'm using this word very deliberately. There's a purity to the, just the facts of you don't know what this box does, Mm -hmm. but you almost can't resist trying to solve it, trying to see what it does. And then, yeah, boy. Yeah, go ahead. I kind of got the impression that Frank got more than he bargained for. Like he knew that whatever happened was going to be extreme. I mean, he said the he, I wanted the pleasures of heaven or hell. I didn't care which, yeah. So it's it. He knew that there could be some level of nefarious activity to it, but at that point, I don't think deviance was foreign to him. So he was willing mm-hmm. to risk too much. Yeah, no, I I agree. Did that did that address your question, Andy? Does it? I'm still wrapping my head around the movie. It's well, um, it's it's. I, I just like. I, I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> well, and, and you get what I'm saying. So I'm going to prop up a little bit of what you're saying because my first experience with it, I came into it and came into it thinking very much that Pinhead was going to be on the same shelf with like Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, mm-hmm. that he's basically going to be just, oh, well, he's the slasher villain. And so, oh, you know, heaven help anybody who opens up this box because then Pinhead's coming for you. And so when I first saw it, I, I, I distinctly remember the first time I saw it and about 30 to 40 minutes in, I was like, who in the world is this Frank guy? And why are we spending so much time with yeah, him? Like, why are we spending? All, what, <laughs> it's like, why are we spending all this time about like this woman trying to bring him back and everything? So I didn't, I had to recalibrate to the movie and this has happened to me for at this point, more movies than I could really count at least 20 or 30 movies where I see it at first and it, I don't really understand it. And it just lodges in my imagination. There's something in the undercurrent that connects with me or something about what it's exploring. And so what happened to me when I watched Hellraiser is like all those years, I was like, I don't really, I don't really understand what this movie is trying to do. But then upon subsequent viewings and then upon reading the novella, suddenly some dots began to connect. And I don't know if this conversation will fully sort of like land it for you, but you know, there's definitely some things in it that I feel much more confident. I can say like, no, the film is exploring this. or the film is about mm-hmm. this kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing I will say as a shot across the bow and then certainly open to wherever we want to go next is this film is a, an inverted, perhaps to Nathan's point, some, some ultra sensitive people to content might say a perverted, but it is definitely an inverted view of what is otherwise something to be admired and aspired to, which is uh, romantic love and uh, a, a sort of the the pursuit of a goal, the pursuit of a, a dream or an ambition. And this is, in its way, inverting those things. There was the joke that, if you scoured IMDb trivia, you probably saw this joke, where they were like... Um, 
Hellbound Heart, the original name was uh, like, it sounded too much to them like a love story. It sounded much like, oh, this is like a romance story. So we need to change it up. And uh, I can't repeat what one of the people said, like, why don't you just call it this? And it, but it was basically a version of like, what wouldn't this woman, Julia, do right. to get back with Frank, you know? And, um, yeah. and that, is, that is very much a, like Clive Barker, we talked about him on Candyman a little bit, but this is the first time that we've actually dove into like, he wrote the novella, he adapted this, this work, he directed this film. So this is Clive Barker's imagination on screen. Um, and he's, an, he's a really fascinating guy. He is very fascinated with religion and religious imagery, though he's not personally ascribed to any particular organized religion. Um, he is very much like the, the term Cenobite is it means like a religious order. That's that's what that's referring to. Uh, the character of Pinhead is simply referred to as priest in the script. Um, so a lot of sort of well, religious- to that, I'm sorry to jump in there. But to that point, he uh, through my reading, uh, Barker never actually liked that Pinhead became right. his his sort of what he was called popularly to the point that in maybe 2010 some sometime in the last decade ish uh a comic was published that i think he wrote and he the character who is pinhead in the films is part of this comic series in which barker names him priest and never mm -hmm. refers to him as as mm -hmm. pinhead yeah that um, makes sense that was kind of interesting yeah and so so yeah it's one of the things that i did and uh, uh clive barker if you depending on which edition of the book Hellbound Heart, if you stumbled across it at your local library or something, there is a, an, an updated edition. If you look for like the edition that has Clive Barker's introduction to it, he did talk about like part of what he's exploring is the ethics of the pursuit of love. And I thought that was really fascinating that there is this notion when you take it out of the horror genre, there's a romanticized fascination with particularly in certain rom-coms of things it was like oh love and and follow your heart and do whatever it takes to follow your heart and to find love and it's like well when you're julia mm -hmm. and what you want is frank then and of course this is horror so it gets to dance around in the uh, as pinhead would say uh the ex the extreme realms of experience mm -hmm. and um that that is really kind of what the film is scratching at in terms of these these obsessive pursuits not realizing the havoc and the destruction self and peripheral that you're wreaking with some particular pursuits depending on what those things are so again just a shot across the bow nothing nothing major uh nathan Bef before yes. we get too philosophical up in here uh here, you here. know I, it's it is a party <laughs> and you know this movie is all about things that uh, uh are not just wrong but might be called that ain't right yeah sure as hell ain't right yeah so it is time to talk about all the nasty that hellraiser <laughs> has to hold for us um so yeah we're gonna do a little segment we call that ain't right where each of us scan our lists and guests will go first 
for what is the absolute most that ain't right thing to you that happens in the film hellraiser andy i am coming to you what would you what would you say in watching this film you're like that ain't right that ain't right right. Um, yeah shoot when gosh there's like two things that i can think of um the first one would be when frank is in the meets the symbiotes for the second time and it like stretches his face out oh and he's still gosh. talking you know it's like is that the end yeah it's disgusting that jesus wept yeah and then um which was a substitute before you leave that one. The Jesus wept was a substitute line. The line was supposed to be F you. <laughs> yeah, right. supposed to be what it was. And then he pivoted over to Jesus wept, which ironically is significantly worse. It feels so <laughs> awful. Yeah, it really does. I'm just like, oh my um, God. Anyway, yeah, and, sorry, Andy. And then her discovering her dad thinking it's frank uh, like his charred boo, body boo, boo, boo. and all the oh skin, so. yeah that yeah that oh, so right. that i was like that ain't right that yeah. ain't right no that ain't right yeah that ain't all right. right asia what you got that ain't right you know my that ain't right is probably not that interesting considering all of the crazy nasties that are in this movie mm-hmm. but there's something about those few close-ups that they have at the very, very beginning of the movie of when mm-hmm. those fish hook type things first get into Frank's skin. And you've mm-hmm. got those really detailed close-ups of it just ripping his skin. And there's yeah. just, there's something yeah. about that sure. very specific visual that just turned my stomach in ways that nothing else in the movie did. Yeah. Oh, I, no, think, I, don't I think that was so strong a visual image that my brain and my physiological yeah. response just shut off. It was like, okay, yeah. this is what we're dealing with. Right. So cool. Right. Looks great. It's fun. It's a good time. Party. Yeah. You, you were texting yeah. me. You're like, this movie is already like, what if I didn't know where you were in the movie. I just see oh, the that. repeated. Yeah. yeah. I just see the repeated, like, I see the W come through. Oh, I see the T. Oh, oh I know where we're going. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I totally get it. Um, Nathan, you want to go? You you go ahead. Hmm. <laughs> There's so many. I left a lot on the table here. Um, <laughs> one, I, I'm I'm just uh, cinnabite. Like that word conjures such confectionery goodness for me. Not hellish. You know. I call them the cinnabuns the whole time. Yeah, I was watching exactly. It. The I'm like, I will eat that. You know. Um, <laughs> I got some cinnabites. Um, yeah. I yes. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and then you then they pop up you're like whoa whoa whoa, whoa. Well, that's, not, that's not what i asked for not <laughs> what i had in mind <laughs> i said extra frosting <laughs> <laughs> oh take, it take it back that's <laughs> sure a deterrent though if you're trying to lose yeah. weight you open that box you're like you yeah. opened it we it's like, it's, 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 <laughs> it's like no, no put it back put it back it's like the what do you call it the lamenta lament lament configuration it's yeah. like that with with cinnamon icing you know cinnamon bun icing on it You're like beep, 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 mm, you know yummy oh um, <laughs> okay okay let's figure this out because all right what are you gonna say what's yours i mean 
I'm going to, I'm going to pull an Andy and I'm going to do a, a, a one and then a real world one. So, Oh, okay. So because I had no idea what I was watching, <laughs> you know, just period, I just didn't know what the narrative was going to be. I did not know Frank's character would play the role he would. So I had no idea. And in fact, it says, um, period, WTF period. And it's the birth of the thing from the floor. <laughs> oh, the, my. the goo from floor congealing as a half skeleton body with guts thing. Oh, Frank, that's Frank. Okay. Yeah, that was, <laughs> I was repulsive. I mean, come on. Um, Talk about, know. though, like, I cannot say it enough. Oh. Practical effects. Oh, sure. Oh, Holy my crap gosh. on that. Like, so oh good. God. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, I will practically good. vomit. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> right. Right. That's, that's, achievement unlocked um <laughs> Level up. The, the other thing is so uh my my middle child is out of town at her grandparents house and this is mild story time that's going to feed into this and i had just watched hellraiser the night before and one of the most disgusting elements in hellraiser i think well i thought this is what you were referencing andy is uh larry slash frank at the end of the film mm. or Frank wearing Larry. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, what are you wearing tonight? No, Larry. You know? <laughs> I'm, wearing Larry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, la- I'm wearing Larry by what'd Julia. You, what'd you- <laughs> <laughs> Larry by Julia. Wow. That's good. Riri. Um, so, but one of the most disgusting, just as in a movie as nasty and gnarly as this one is, one of the most subtly repulsive things in it is Larry's hairline when Larry is not Larry, but Frank. Oh my God. So blood around the edge of it. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So yeah. The next like day, the next day, my 10 year old who's out of town is getting her hair dyed at her grandparents' house. Oh, so I get a text of a photo of uh-huh. my 10 year old with hair dye in her hair. Yes. You know where this is going. And she's got this nasty ass, sort of dye line around her hairline i'm like blah throw my phone i'm like no thank you keep her keep her keep her that's not her anymore (laughs) she's been taken (laughs) oh my god oh lord that was funny that was rough that's funny that that ain't right oh my god y'all just i wanted my kid back but no more you know y'all y'all left so many on the thing like oh my god well because this is 90 minutes of that ain't right like this is just so so Mm -hmm. much of it but the um but yeah i mean like uh gosh since i'm going last i'm just gonna breeze through like three of them when frank is mal when frank is malformed and just like starts crawling after julia Mm -hmm. when he first whatever that thing it like oh my gosh but skinless frank in general like skinless Frank writ large, like just standing there, th- there'll be a shot where like Ugh. he's just standing there and the oh, like yeah. goo will just like fall what? off of his chin. The goo will like fall off of his chin. And I'm just like, Bleh. so like, yes. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. What, no. is, what, what is that stuff? <laughs> that, ain't right. that ain't, oh, that sure. ain't right. <laughs> no, that ain't right. But, but <laughs> as, as, as many things as there are, because there's just so much of that, like grotesquerie. Oh my God. Frank chopping up the rat at the bedside when they're trying uh, to uh, be intimate. Uh, that's just no, 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 no. Uh, but uh, that's, that, we that's ain't, that doesn't do it for me. We, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, but like the one thing that we have not brought up yet because we keep talking about like frank and pinhead and all the rest is crazy dragon skeleton homeless guy like still oh, don't understand yeah. he, 
He does what? not come back. Like just letting you know, he never he really? never shows up Love again it. in the rest of the series. No, never shows up again. But we do he's see like, him. Not my story. Right. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know, he's in the shared universe they tried to build yeah. up. But yeah. so, like, but that shot where he's in the pet store, uh, like, uh, yeah, yeah. no, thank you. Hungry? No, no, thank you. Like that whole full of, full of protein, just, Reed. Ah, oh, I just I can't Times I can't with that. Like it's the 80s. that's mm. okay. Like you gotta do what you gotta do. Ooh, Asia's well, got. Some. I got one to tack on to yes. my that eight right again. Or to hook in what? <laughs> quite literally. Yeah. This this is again one of the more subtle things, but the tension, the absolute dread I felt watching Larry try to push that mattress up the stairs, knowing that the nail was there. The nail. Mm. Oh my yes. gosh! And yes. just. What else is that? Is it deep while he's got just rivers of blood streaming? Right, right, right. That was a serious scratch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Well, <laughs> it's like somebody walking into the hospital holding their guts in their hands. Are you okay? Uh, no, I'm um, not I okay. I'm just like, moving a mattress. Somewhere yeah. around the big bloody spot. You know? Yeah. Well, and listen, this movie is jacked up, but it's kind of a pretty impressive edit when the parallel action is the mattress up the stairs and the mattress... <laughs> in flashback you know i mean yeah I, yeah i thought was impressive um so so this feeds into that ain't right but it is one of my questions listen y'all okay. okay the halls of horror are rife with pretty strong character catchphrases okay from jack torrance's all work and no play makes jack a dull boy to ash williams is groovy but i gotta know this is that ain't right okay on a scale of one to ten with ten being the best and one being slime ball from hell how solid a catchphrase is come to daddy <laughs> oh my god oh my god it's the yeah. oh my gosh yeah well i mean that's, that's clear that's a twofer yeah no <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh gross i mean which begs the question uh, you gotta know like meatloaf must have watched this movie before he wrote uh do anything for love i won't do that it's like come on wow yeah like <laughs> i won't do that i won't do that what i don't i didn't mean to to throw both of my questions here and that ain't right but but it feels like i'm left wondering like frank is a frank is a terrible human right. and oh, a terrible absolutely. undead human like no, absolutely what yeah. I, I that is one of the few things you know, and maybe I'm, I'm i'm just looking for something that the movie doesn't care to offer but I'm like uh, why why like why frank dead well mm -hmm. sure it's not yeah. just why frank i mean okay because there's why frank in real life you know right. like like living frank that's a question right. why why that guy he's mm -hmm. a slug you know mm -hmm. um but then when he comes back come on come on julia you had your moment to just be like uh-uh <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, thank you. Larry may be vanilla as it gets, but no, look at you. I mean, but no, she gets that. I don't know. I don't know. But, it's, but so here's the so. Okay, so we're we're gonna officially like sort of tie mm -hmm, off. Mm -hmm. That ain't right. Cue the Do eight to go seconds to of music. Cue. Cue the eight seconds of music now. Thank you, everyone. That sure as hell ain't right. And so now, now we're uh, back. Now okay. we're back. So now to uh, my question. So, but but I've only ever been a guy. I've only ever been a guy. That's listen. In 2021, we don't know people's stories. All the stories, best stories. Okay? It was, we don't this know. Way. But I I feel like the question you raised 
is not an uncommon question for people who are in toxic relationships. Yes, mm. Frank is a Frank is, you know, like but but this is this is part of what I find so interesting about this movie is yes, this movie explodes things out to complete extreme to where it's like okay, this is this is absolutely the utter outer limits of what might be possible here. But I I mean how many times have people probably mm -hmm. found themselves in a relationship that everybody around them are looking at and going, really? Like this, this is what mm -hmm. you're doing. And I, and I don't, and I, it, what's Her? funny is, well, what's funny the is I actually, oh, oh, <laughs> but, and what's funny is I actually don't fully intend to be lighthearted in the sense that like some people find themselves really latched in. Sure. And, uh, using the movie's mirror imagery, like hooked in to certain things that are like, I, I don't know how to detach myself mm -hmm. from what's happening here and the toxicity of that to that degree. Like Julia is, is full blown, like obsessed. She she's locked in on this to the degree that as weird as the inversion would feel to us, it is her husband, Larry, who is disgusting to her. And Frank, that is alluring and sure. appealing and attractive <clears throat> and and the toxicity of what not only he demands of her, of course, dispelling her the first opportunity. Right. She no longer serves a utilitarian purpose, but then also the the extent to which she is willing to offer up her own. And I say I do not say this lightly, offer up her own soul to to see him get what he wants and um and i do think all jokiness aside i do think there are probably significantly more relationships than i mean nathan we you know we not to pivot us back to last week but we you know we we touched on this a little bit about the ways that your 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 mind can just get lost in in what you don't realize is happening to you in this mm -hmm. situation and how you've been sort of, you know, I won't dominate the conversation on the subject, but, but I do, I do think it's like, yeah, Fr Frank's a piece of work, but given the right set of combinations, the right need he fulfills in mm -hmm. who Julia is long enough so that that is now locked in and that's and 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 so now there's really no turning back uh to that degree so yeah well, and i i think part of it is also julia i don't know if i would say that julia is chasing frank so much as she's chasing the idea of frank because mm, frank stupid, has right. never been anything more than sort of this fleeting apparition to her you know this mm -hmm. I don't know if the film implied that it was more than a single instance or very, or at least no more than a, a few, but yeah, the relationship that they shared together was so fleeting. So um, I don't know, just violently emotional yet. So quick that whatever lingering phantom she has of him is completely and is it is a total incomplete picture of who he would have been as a person. You know, the only image of him she has is the image that he projected to her in those brief moments. Right. And that's what she's holding on to. You know, when you see this horrible, deformed thing crawling towards you on the floor and you realize this is 
this phantom that I've been remembering, Mm -hmm. you know, for all of these years and being in a vulnerable place, being disenchanted, being resentful of her husband. Mm -hmm. That's a very powerful fantasy to, again, we talk a lot about things getting their hooks in you literally and figuratively, but she wants the box of Frank. She doesn't know what's in it, Mm. you know, and she ultimately pays for it by being willing to open it. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a really astute observation um, because, and, and it, it is, it's, you reach this point to where you become unable to distinguish as the Cenobites pointed out, like you become unable to know the difference between what will be Mm. painful and pleasurable and, and it it all just sort of it's not quite the same thing as growing numb and apathetic. I think there is this there there's this way in which certain appetites can reach a point of insatiability and and you have to almost pursue what the what you know fulfillment of that appetite might have felt like at some point and you're constantly trying to chase that again and 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 perhaps that is at the root of addiction perhaps that is at the root of obsession is this notion of you you are no longer actually going to ever be fulfilled you're just going to be constantly chasing Mm -hmm. what you thought fulfillment was supposed to feel like and that that's that that's how it maintains it's you know like he keeps telling her in the film, like, just just one more, just one more, and we'll be done. And I even, like, the guys that she lures up to the room, there's the one that I think the film deliberately sort of gives us a moment to kind of break us, break our thought pattern out of the maybe drive-in movie sort of schlock that it's, that it's toying with, where the guy's like, I get really lonely sometimes. Like, this, is a, this is a pitiful person. And, and, and I don't mean pitiful in the sense of like, oh, pathetic. I just mean like, like sure. there's a tremendous sense of pity that you extend. Like, it's just lonely because God knows connections and even more so in 2021 can legitimate connections are difficult to make. And, and they, they require a certain degree of risk. And, and this poor person, it, it, you could almost imagine, you know, some voice in his head saying, you just got to put yourself out there, man. You just got to put yourself out there. And, and here's this person and, and she's interesting mm-hmm. to talk to. And you just got to put yourself out it's, here. And he just, it's and, not, it's not camp, but it's something, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll work. And then it suddenly, and then you suddenly find yourself in that room realizing like, oh my God, that's what this, that's what this trap, that's what this, this, this horror is like. Know, he sees something in the shadows like, um, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm not this lonely. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Am I? You know, but it's but it's like I think that's the I think that's the thing that um you know that that is what I feel like the Cenobites largely represent. I've said I've said it on the show before. That is largely my uh, you know, not to dig too deep into, you know, uh, the weeds of theological constructs, but when I think about evil, when I think about wickedness, when I think about powers and principalities, demonic forces, anything, spiritual warfare, anything that you would categorize in that category, I, lo- I could blanket it as saying appetites that will never be fulfilled. That's the way mm-hmm. I think of those kinds of things. And that's just my construct. Um, the, the idea that 
um, it's not a construct I invented. I genuinely believe that's how they operate in that they mm-hmm. just, they constantly have to suck out of the world, the goodness that they find wherever it is um, because there is no other way for them to, but again, to the point that we, we were talking about uh, just a few minutes ago and that Asia brought up, it's not even just that they're seeking fulfillment. They're, they're seeking the constant idea of what fulfillment would look like. And when you really get locked into that, God, you could explode that to all sorts of applicable areas, whether it be interpersonal relationships, uh, career success, satisfaction in friend groups, um, you know, sociopolitical ideas, whatever it is, is you're constantly chasing this idea of what you think it's supposed to be all along the way, wreaking devastation and havoc as at your constant need to just give and give and give to the thing that is demanding of you. Um, and, uh, and I think, again, it's just one of the things that I think this, this film has on its mind. Um, Andy, we haven't heard from you in, in, in a little bit. What do you generally think about what we're, what we're throwing down? Does this, is this gelling at least as, you know, like you're making the effort to try to put together what this film is trying to say, or some of these things clicking for you, or is it uh, still pretty, pretty nebulous? Um, I agree. (laughs) 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 Um, It's just, it's just interesting. I mean, I can see that if you looked at it that way of just like trying to get this, not even fulfillment, but just like this desire that you have, you know, and, um i desire an xbox um but should i get one is is a you know should i do should i do it or will a cinnamon bun show up you know <laughs> I, I i i want that box so bad it's a good day <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah um but I, I I I get that part of the movie. I just it it just it just doesn't. Um, it's one of those movies you could go so deep into, and sure, get sure. in the weeds, or you can just say this guy just wanted to put some hooks in people. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, in in your defense, now I had not read and have not read Hellbound Heart, but there is a world where it feels like what's presented in this film. Mm-hmm. is a partially realized mythology and that's okay mm-hmm. um it's just kind of like you're finding your way i think reed you're connecting a lot of dots just from repeat viewings that mm-hmm. are likely even there but your first go round is such this carnival of crazy that you're like what <laughs> what what are the rules to the sith holocron that everyone's passing around you know yeah. what is why <laughs> Why does Kirsty in the hospital have the vision that she has? And in other words, it's just, it's hard to know one character to the next, why the experience of the things is so different. And, and so from that standpoint, it's a weird movie to watch. I know what you're saying, uh, read in terms of the, the abrasiveness, the, the, that insatiable that was a good word of of mm, mm. of what's being presented there to the point that they each are they, they each in turn are kind of disposable which is kind of the point like mm. julia gets gotten rid of i mean frank uh by the end of it he's 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 just a blip on the cinnabites radar like the, the to your point earlier reed they are they are 
they are utilitarian beings. Mm-hmm. You, you, oh, you you click the Rubik's cube the right way, and here we are. Mm. Well, see, but but I think that. Well, okay. So first off, I have I have some thoughts, but I was just sort of watching everybody in Asia. It looked like some dots were clicking for you. So I want to see if you had anything else to say. If not, then I I, I have something to throw in there. Not necessarily that go along as nicely as I would like to for what he was saying. So you go ahead and, and okay. keep right. going on the track. Feel free, feel free to jump in if something clicks. But so like one of the things for me, so there was something that Doug Bradley had mentioned about crafting the character of Pinhead as an actor. And it was decided pretty early on that Pinhead used to be human. Mm-hmm. And I remember I pulled this from my little trivial bit digging. I thought this was really interesting in that he said whether this is Doug Bradley talking about crafting the character of Pinhead, where he said uh, a line from one of Clive's plays swam into my mind. I am in mourning for my humanity. And then skipping down a little further to what he said, he said, whether this was yesterday, last week, last year, 10, 100, 1,000 years ago, I didn't know, but I didn't need to. Sufficient to have that idea lodged in my brain that there was a a perpetual unconscious grieving for the man he had once been for a life and a face he couldn't even remember. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I, and he says later that I thought this was pretty powerful. He said, I felt now that Pinhead existed in an emotional limbo where neither pain nor pleasure could touch him. And that's a pretty good definition of hell for me. And I think, so one of the things that I think is fascinating is he says this notion of, I am in mourning for my humanity. And what we're talking about and what I think the film very much has its ideas uh, on is this notion of, you think about the Cenobites used to be humans, which again, this film does not unpack. Hellraiser 2 makes much more definitively clear. But these Cenobites used to be humans. They tread along this path, opened the box, and now they are here, and this is what they are now. And they have lost their sense of humanity. And to that degree, Julia is in that same process. Frank Mm -hmm. is in that same process. Mm -hmm. They are in the process of losing their humanity one piece at a time, one choice at a time. They are uh, actively and willfully sort of sacrificing it's it's almost too broad to say their their souls or their spirits, but like every everything takes a piece of who they are till they reach a point to where like like Pinhead standing there that they're it's it's almost just the the flat line no metronome it's just yeah it all just blends together now this is this man has got nails sticking out of his head like. Mm. There, there are drill lines in his face and everything is flat and everything is nothing. So that's that's what I'm kind of fascinated by and to a degree haunted and horrified by mm-hmm. is the notion, the idea that a thing I'm pursuing could become of so utmost ultimate importance to me. I'll, I'll say it in this way, uh, Nathan, you and I were recently conversing about a situation. We were making an observation about someone that we both knew, and we were making an observation about how they had become, I'm going to have to, uh, because you know the, the, this, this is someone we know and everything, I'm going to try to be vague enough about the details, but specific enough to make a point. That they had, <laughs> it is not. It is not. But, Jeez. But, uh, but yeah. these, uh, <laughs> 
but they had become so fixated on a subject and their particular framework was in an intention towards righteousness. They had become so fixated on a very specific subject and, and perhaps righteously so, and perhaps intentionally for good, trying to strive and, and make efforts towards good. But in that process, as they're making efforts to try to do good things, they are actively and often accidentally hurting the people around them, hurting and wounding the closest relationships around them. Like, to, to, you can think of it this way. I'm, I'm a husband and a father. And if I, you know, am so locked into my work that my family never sees me, and then I come to them like, I'm doing this for you. You know, like, I'm, I'm doing all of this. I'm slaving away at that. And it's like, well, are you, is that really what this is about anymore? Mm. Has, has the ultimate goal, the utmost goal, become such an insatiable appetite that now pain and pleasure are not something you can register anymore. You can no longer look into the eyes of the people that you love and care about and register actually who they are and what they need mm -hmm. or, or be present with them in that moment because it's all just about this is the goal, this is what we're doing, and everything must fit this end and everything must fulfill this need. Is that making sense or is it still a mm -hmm. bit too vague? Because mm -hmm. that's no, something. Asia. Go, Asia. Right. Yeah, go oh, on. no, I, I, that just really like, weaves itself into something that I had written down. And I have to give my husband, J Mark all credit for this one, because he was the one who articulated this so nicely. He watched it with me as we were kind of ping ponging thoughts back and forth after having watched it. I said, what's out, what stuck out to you the most about the movie? And he said, well, everybody has their Frank. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, everybody has something that would be better if they just let die, but they won't. Oh, oh my God! That's, right? Wow! Yes, yes. But it's it's and it is those things that very subtly over time that we obsess over, or or again, you don't have to consciously obsess over it to be mm, to be fixated. feeding something, yeah, yeah, yeah. and fixated. Mm -hmm. And it's those things that can very subtly destroy you. You know? Yeah. No, I totally, I the, like, I felt that when you, when you cited that quote, I'm just like, yeah, that's, we would much rather, or we would be better off if we would just let it die, if we would just let it go, but just, we can't. And so we keep not only feeding it, but sacrificing for it. Like, that's what she's, that's what she's doing. She's, she's not only giving of herself, but she's also, you know, throwing cattle, these people like cattle mm -hmm. to make sure that. Frank can consume it and so that he can grow uh, stronger. And then even still, he can't be whole until he has to wear the facade of something else. And mm -hmm. uh, he's even still not whole at that point, but he can't appear or look put together until he, he fashions a different facade. Uh, and it would just be so much better for everybody if he was just left to die. If he was just like, okay, the, and, and again, Normally, we don't talk about characters in film as if like they are completely disposable. But Frank, like, <laughs> he he gave himself over to hell. This is not a character that you know mm -hmm. we 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 uh, are longing for redemption for. Like, he has absolutely surrendered himself into raising hell, literally, and um and so yeah, no, I I I do find that uh, somewhat convicting and somewhat haunting. This idea of like there are things that we would be better off if we would just let them if we would just mm -hmm. let them die. Mm -hmm. um, 
So at this, at this is the moment in the conversation where I would say we can, we can kind of easily pivot over into the fog meter, but I don't want to remove the opportunity if somebody else had anything that we hadn't addressed or hadn't said about the film that you want to take the chance to do so now. If not, we will sort of, you know, bring this party to a close, sadly, as that is to say. Well, are we good? Would you like, I, we don't, I don't have to, but I did, as the horror Enneagrammeria, jot down some very quick typings for each of the characters. I don't have to go into deep depth oh my God, why, love it. but it was just, there's not a ton of in-depth character development to sure. really, but if we are just going off of sheer behaviors, this is my gut reaction list. This would be rapid fire. Larry is a yes. two, Frank is a seven. Julie is a four and Kirsty is an eight. Not quite sold on that one, but mm, it felt Who's a four? Wow. Julie. Or not Julia. 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 Julia oh, is no. a four. What is you know what? Yeah, I one, feel two, seen. So I'm throwing the myself Enneagram. under the bus. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. I feel can seen. You, can you, um, uh, uh, Asia, you, your horror Enneagramarian skills have shown up on the blog. Uh, don't go too into depth of the Enneagram, but specifically what are the, what does each type in a nutshell you know, Encompass. there's like the, the, this thing, the, that thing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I'll kind of generally go through what they're usually known as. Twos are often known as the helper, which again, mm. Larry is sweet. Uh, he's giving, he's sure. nurturing. He's, yeah. Yeah. you know, all of the things he's, that people, you know, a doormat, you Larry, <laughs> get a spine. <laughs> yeah. Kind of sometimes um, sevens <laughs> are often known as the enthusiast and they have a, many, many wonderful traits, but some of the pitfalls they can fall into is, um, if one is good, two is better. There's a, an element of too much of chasing the next best thing of thrill yeah. seeking. There's often and a you lot said of that's Frank. Yes. A lot of high risk taking behavior um, with more unhealthy sevens. Mm. Um, so things like that. I, Julia is a four. They're often known as the romantic or the individualist. I mm. kind of pegged that based off of it's very easy sometimes for fours to get fixed on an idea of something that isn't necessarily real, but is sparkly that may fulfill a need or a desire or add a sense of completion. You're gone. You're out of here. Uh, Quit no. reading my mail. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm one too. Uh, no, it's um, true. It's true. And because Chris, for what it's worth, five minutes ago when y'all are talking about the pursuit of things to 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 nihilism or whatever, I'm like, mm-hmm, let's get on past this. Uh, <laughs> oh man. Um and then Christy is an eight. Eights are known as the challenger. I, I pegged her as an eight kind of quickly, but mainly because she's so good at setting boundaries from the get go. Yeah. Um, and other type other types can do that very well. But eights tend to have a really good knack of being able to set boundaries in a way that doesn't hurt people's feelings because it tends to come pretty naturally to them. They can. Sure. But she's she knows what to say, when to say it. She's not afraid to say it. Um, and she's going to take action when she thinks she needs to. So that was my gut reaction Love list it. for all of us. This is fantastic. This is fantastic. You are good at this, uh, Asia. So, yes, that, <laughs> oh, is, that is abso- absolutely fantastic. That's why uh, we pay you the big bucks. <laughs> um, so I, I guess. Cash. <laughs> <laughs> He said we pay her in Cole's cash. <laughs> Don't forget it expires on Tuesday. Okay. So just the, there's that. Um, 
so no so uh i guess with that having been said it's it's time to to bring hellraiser to the fog meter our patent pending uh very specific metric on the fear of god of fear and god where we rate these films on their scares and their substance so clive barker 1987 hellraiser um andy i'm going to come to you first how would you rate hellraiser on the fear measurement seven all right Asia, what what you got for me, dude? I, 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 I'm just I'm just gonna go all out. I'm gonna give it a ten. I was deeply hey. upset by this movie, very much so, in a good way. Like it did all, yeah. it, it did its job. Yeah, heard heard. Uh, Nathan, what about for you? Clearly, this is a film whose half the benefits from repeat viewings, uh, at, as uh, for at least me on the first go round, it was less scary than it was just pure disgusting um but i say that i mean i i meant it what i said earlier the the character creature designs are pretty amazing and so um i think i'll join andy at his seven for fear well i am going to join asia at the 10 this is a really i think it's got Sharks. some Sharks. <laughs> Jets. Jets. <laughs> i think it's got yeah, I think I think the imagery here is just uh, really, really arresting, and um, and yeah, I mean, gotta throw down for as we've said several times, but that they did all of this on a micro budget and uh, were able to do so many things very effectively. I mean, they benefited from the fact that it's mostly one location, but still, the things that they're able to pull off uh, visually on screen is is, is pretty impressive. Um, I'll I'll take us in reverse. And I'll go ahead and throw the gauntlet down. I don't disagree with what you said, Nathan. I think the heft of what's in this movie comes with repeat viewings and with furtherance of thought. But this is an unqual in, in terms of the God meter, in terms of the substance in this story, this is an unqualified 10 for me. I think there's so much in the, the narrative on a superficial level and in the substance beneath that, uh, that I really get arrested by. So for me, it's a 10. What would you say, Nathan? Um, hmm. I mean, I do feel a bit, uh, uh, uh remiss. I'm, I'm curious about the novella now. So, uh, you know, in, in that sense, it did its work because I imagine, um, cause, cause the, yeah, the novella predates the film, of course, but, Does. um, it's, it's clear. There's a lot that's attempting to be put on screen in this philosophically and actually um uh, on my one viewing i'm <laughs> this is about we'll see if this happens i'm gonna go with a seven on the god meter <laughs> oh no oh no okay so before we go to asia though because you mentioned hellbound heart i will say like it is extremely brief like you could probably sit down and sure. so like novella whatever you could probably sit down and read the whole thing in about an hour and a half. Like it is very brief and so definitely worth. Well, if you read my whatcha from two weeks ago, you might know it takes me an excruciatingly long time to finish things. So it might take <laughs> your hour and Maybe a half. Maybe longer than an hour to Six half. months, but yes. 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 Um, but certainly worth like if there's anybody who's like, oh, I don't know about a whole big book. Like it is super <clears> brief, <throat> very accessible. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would highly recommend that. Um, sorry, Asia, uh, didn't mean to steal your thunder. What would you give no, it for your God meter? I'm going to go twinsies with Reed again. And I, 
again, I don't mind when things have to be excavated. I I just like knowing that there are that there are gems to be mined in material. Sure. And so sure. to me, the digging process is half the fun. So mm. you, like, yeah, you, you like love sinking your hooks in. I, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Ah. Yanking uh, out. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, Andy, bring us home. What would you give it for the God meter? I'm going to go twin Z's. Ah, is, ah. ah, is, there it is. And go with re. I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with, with Nathan. There's so much there. I think that if I watched it some more, I could figure mm-hmm. it out or not figure it out, but I could sure. find more yeah. stuff into it. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's the Bible of horror movies. You know, <laughs> we're watching. Well, I will say this, <laughs> this is a film that benefit. If, 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 if any of our listeners or especially any of our hosts watched the film and are like, man, I just, I need some help sort of unpacking this. This is a film that benefits either like watching a documentary or reading like some thought pieces on it or whatever, because mm. there's some fascinating stuff out there that when you read it, your things just start to click that you're like, dang, yeah, that does make sense. And, and much more than what we've even gone into in this conversation. So um, it is a, it is a film that rewards that kind of exploration just writ large. And I would highly encourage that. But the bigger question about like encouragement and recommending is would we recommend Hellraiser? So uh, because I'm the easiest answer, I of course would recommend it. Actually, you know what? I said that real swiftly. It is a film, like I said at the very beginning, where I'm all like, oh, so you, you want to watch Hellraiser? So what would you think about Hellraiser? Like, it's a little bit trepidation. I would not, like, sit down with my wife and be like, oh, yeah, honey, you should check You'll out You'll love Hellraiser. this. Yeah, There's a exactly. lot of deep yeah. things here. Yeah, exactly. So um, I will say for people who would say they are a horror movie fan, check this out. See if you are. <laughs> like, <laughs> Loser. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm just teasing. But like, no, I just like sincerely, if you if you fancy yourself a horror movie fan, it's almost essential for everybody else. Eh, maybe maybe gauge your week and see if you're down for it. But Nathan, would you recommend Hellraiser? Hmm. <laughs> to the, to the- <laughs> I mean, it's hard to the horror file, but otherwise, no, which is not me actually slamming the movie. It's just, it is, forgive me, it's bat crazy. Like, yeah, sure. And so, sure, yeah. you know, there's, there's zero casual recommend of Hellraiser. Yeah, it's a good Unless point. you are trying to end a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I got one for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, so no, I mean, it's, 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 it's for the horror fan uh who just hasn't seen it yet i'm not hear nothing in that saying i'm sad i watch it or didn't you know find stuff to to uh glom onto but it's it's a lot it's a lot yeah it's a lot it's a lot asia how how do you feel would you recommend Um, it with major caveats yes you know it's definitely like this is not a date movie you know right of course don't go that route i mean unless you're oh, jamer I, mean, I guess <laughs> but, oh, well, i wasn't gonna say that but you know for certain couples it could be yeah um, um but i for some i i would recommend this movie to the people that are looking for this movie if that movie mm, makes any sense okay and i would yeah. do so enthusiastically because think- you would you would like the merchant at the beginning of the film say take it <gasps> it's yours it, it always, always was. was oh that <laughs> happened like in real time that's great that's awesome no and I think that's a the, that's an astute observation absolutely Andy would you recommend it 
In my circle of people. Yeah, to your youth no. kids. Yeah. <laughs> no. All right, uh, kids. We would not watch. We would not watch it at camp. <laughs> Movie night at summer camp. <laughs> we yeah. made the mistake of watching the Babadook, and that was <gasps> great. So. <laughs> oh no! Oh my gosh! Um, so, so, job, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What happens at camp? <laughs> <laughs> All right, kids. It's time the trust for circle. Um, yeah, there were there were kids who were very terrified through the rest of the camp i bet <laughs> i'd be one of those kids because you'd go outside their cabin and be like no yeah no no but, um, <laughs> but in my immediate circle i probably wouldn't recommend it not that it's a bad like no of course it. not that Understood. it's a bad movie yeah. not that yeah. it's uh it, it's not something it like for the i don't even know if i would recommend it for like the super it would have to be the super horror person yeah like if it was like casual like oh i like the nun then (laughs) (laughs) you're not ready for hellraiser (laughs) (laughs) there's a priest in it yeah if somebody was like i love cannibal holocaust and be like (laughs) (laughs) it's like wait a second like hellraiser is a movie i i actively revisit from time to time cannibal holocaust is a whole nother like that's a whole nother thing yeah um, but no uh, so but yeah so that's where we are i realize uh, i'm remiss i didn't even give our final fog score but if you're doing the math on it tens and sevens down the line uh translate down to eight and a half out of ten that's what we give clive barker's hellraiser it's an eight and a half out of ten on the fog meter and about a mixed bag of recommendations it's one of those things where it's like yeah i i, I think asia probably said it best it should rec- we'd recommend it for the people who are looking for it because yes it was always there so. it was always always theirs um so okay this this concludes our first 80s party thank you so much thank you so much for being here um thank you so much for uh watching this film for checking in with stranger things next week we are going to be cruising to a much more accessible 80s horror film um we are going to be checking out the film by joel schumacher uh arguably one of the definitive vampire films in the canon we're going to be checking out the lost boys next week um and you will also oh you've never seen oh okay this is gonna be fun um so but yeah we are also going to be checking out episodes three and four of stranger things so three and four of stranger things and the lost boys for next week and as we say on every episode fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and in that spirit we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing thank you so much for being here andy thank you so much for being here asia nathan thank you as always and listeners thank you as well we'll see you next week everybody See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter at the fear of God on Instagram at fear of God podcast, or join the Facebook fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating 
and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.